0: love after your heart was paired you think thinking life after the love you shared an empty stomach needs the main core Cause I am my own damn god Half the time hello and welcome to the mind. edge of punk's podcast this so, so is Vitamin. here we've got us another special episode for you uh, it's the second part of the conversation that Katie Ham had with Chris Gilbert some good good feedback from the first one uh, with the conversation with Chris Uh, sharing a bunch of stuff that he's learned from Harvard, probably one of our most historical episodes that we've done so far, which is really great, really cool, and uh, this section talks about Chris's experiences working in Title IX work, uh, sexual assault prevention, consent work, and what that looks like uh, post uh, the Dear Colleague letter, because he started a job at Harvard uh, dealing with uh, sexual assault prevention right after the Dear Colleague letter came out. So you get to learn a little bit about what he's learned along the way and whatnot, which is really great. You might notice that the quality of me talking right now is a little bit different because I'm doing this little bit at work, which is fine. good thing is you don't have to hear me a whole bunch again this week, which is nice. And uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert, the upcoming episode of next week is going to be another live one that we recorded at the ACPA convention in Houston, Texas. Uh, it is a tattooed professional panel, and you'll get to hear a bunch of different voices on that podcast episode as well, which is which is a lot of fun. So, yeah, you're not gonna hear much more from me now, but please, if you like what you hear, tell your friends, share, rate, review, subscribe, do all that fun stuff, do all that great stuff that you always hear on podcasts. And yeah, let's get to this conversation with katie and chris
1: so let's talk about your title IX part of your position oh, when yeah. in your first job oh, I didn't... Hi. okay so OSAPR. what does that stand for oh yeah
2: sorry everything's acronyms at harvard yeah it's like, it's like rotc my friend was in rotc actually at marquette in uh, milwaukee yeah. you just pretty quickly have to decode all the acronyms that he would use um, so SAPR is the Office of Sexual Assault Prevention and Response. Okay. And um, so I worked there for three years, and I'd volunteered there for several years before then. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought the office was just a phenomenal place to work. I thought it was doing phenomenal work for our campus community. Um, I took my I took my job there um, in two thousand and twelve. I think summer of two thousand and twelve. So it was essentially right after the Dear Colleague letter hit, so the Dear Colleague letter hit in 2011, but I think it kind of took some time for the hornet's nest that it stirred up to really start mm. having the hornets buzz around. Um, yeah, and it was my first year there was like a heck of a year, just um, there was so much happening on our campus. And my first day on at work, we had a significant news event where, um, Some folks on our campus had been sexually assaulted. It was like, literally, I was in the office door at 8.30 in the morning. I remember it was a beautiful sunny day. And our director was like, all right, everybody, we need to have a meeting right now about what happened yesterday. Um, And that kind of set the pace for the next three years after that, where, you know, Harvard went, you know, our office when I started had been historically 2.5 people. So, you know, two full-time people and my role (laughs) was uh, part-time. Yeah. And by the time I left, it was six full-time people to serve. Oh,
1: that's awesome. Well,
2: that's to serve the university with a capital U, so not just the college students, oh, but okay. also the graduate national yeah. professional schools. Um, and I think at the time we had something like 50 Title IX coordinators. Again, mm-hmm. that's around the university. Um, so watching that expansion, and we were talking before things got started, and this is a general comment, not specifically about where I work, but one of the things that I worry about is I think there was such a frantic um, pace of change of campuses that had resources standing up and taking notice and really wanting to make their communities better with sexual assault prevention and response initiatives, which I remember at the time being like, we're finally going to make some headway Mm -hmm. on this issue, right? And I think that one of the trends that I've noticed, and I hope these are not in competition with one another, I don't think they should be, but just from a resource perspective is that higher ed is finally paying attention to diversity and inclusion now. Again, Mm -hmm. 50, 100 years overdue, Mm -hmm. (laughs) finally giving some attention. And I've just noticed that I feel like making sure that there's that sustained effort of moving the needle on sexual assault prevention and Title IX initiatives. I worry that a lot of schools, especially... Um, under-resourced schools or schools with moderate resources like have to make hard decisions about where to move the needle. And what really worries me from a social change perspective is the attention being paid to sexual assault in the Dear Colleague letter mm-hmm. was decades overdue. None of the data for anybody that knew the data was surprising. And I, that sounds awful and makes mm-hmm. me sound like a pessim- pessimist, but when the results of those campus surveys that were um, introduced started being made public across the country, everybody was flipping out. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Yeah, and I've been saying this in trainings for the whole time <laughs> I've been at my job because this data is well-known. The data are well-known. So I just, I were and I worry that the same thing will happen with diversity and inclusion as well, that who knows what the hot um, topic in uh, higher yeah, ed student gonna affairs is going to be, but it's like how to find senior leadership um, in campus communities that are going to make sure that, we know we got to keep moving, moving the needle on the thing that we invested resources in, and also we need to pivot and start moving the needle on this new area. Is something that I just don't think our society has done well, and that's why mm-hmm. I think it keeps coming up. Like we deferred the promises of um, equal access and equal rights for gender back in the nineteen seventies with the Equal Rights Amendment, which came really close to being passed. Um, but that promise, which was raised by, I think, you know, first-wave feminists or second-wave feminists Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways was deferred and never realized. The civil rights promises also made in the 1960s deferred, never realized, and that's why they're coming up again. And so, again, I'm just, from my perspective, I hope that, especially more so than other places in society, higher ed can do sustained effort to keep moving forward, even if the pace might not be as quick as we would like, rather than just... Mm-hmm. been around from topic to topic.
1: So it must have been a good thing that you had already been volunteering in that office for several years before starting a job. Right when the Dear Colleague letter hit.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a couple months after I think the Dear Colleague letter hit, but it was definitely like mm-hmm. it takes time, right, for. I remember I was talking to somebody and they said, well, you know, the military, this is what they said, I'm not saying this, but they said the military is really good at responding to sexual assault. Um, And they said, because they just get it done. And I said, yeah, that's a misunderstanding of how Mm -hmm. all these systems in society work, right? Education is collaborative. Education is where ideas come from. So it's not hierarchical like the military. If your CEO in the military says we're going to do this, then everybody better do it. Mm-hmm. You don't. Do, that's not how you generate the best research and the best ideas. You've got to be thoughtful and try things. Some things are blind alleys, and some things work better than others. But I think it's much more collaborative. So yeah, I felt like it, having that experience on the issue was really helpful for my um, for my work because the pace of change was so frantic, but having a solid foundation of, you know, in the research and in the um, advocacy skills so that I didn't need to onboard that sort of stuff while we were also trying to increase resources on our campus mm-hmm. for students.
1: How do you think it's been since, like, I don't know how much you're still involved with that office? Um, but since, like, the Me Too movement has come up and since, like, Betsy DeVos... Oh, man.
2: uh, Yeah. I mean, like, so, again, um, people that are listening to this can Google it, and um, I probably have my information slightly squishy, but my understanding is the woman that heads that division of the civil rights right now um, under the Trump administration, essentially Mm -hmm. her claim, like, her main claim of expertise seems to be that she essentially wrote a book on all the women that Bill Clinton hurt, like I forgot the name of the book, but it is something okay. like, that sounds like that. It's like yeah. the women the Clintons hurt or something like that. Seems to be her so-called expertise in the area. Um, and I think that watching... I mean, I think that what we see with the current administration overall is just the diminishing of expertise and hiring people that are hollowing out federal agencies. I think it's a strategy.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's partly because they're picking people that are woefully ignorant and unprepared for positions of leadership. I mean, you can't make it up that Rick Perry didn't know what his job was going to be. You know, overseeing the DOE. That he thought it was oil and gas. And you're like, um, no, your job is in part looking after the security of our nuclear arsenal, which also is a really important job. So I think that like the diminishment of expertise is really worrying. I think on the part of people probably like the Koch brothers and Um, you know, Steve Bannon and the other miscreants that make up the current administration. I think the strategy is deliberate. I don't necessarily think it is on the part of those individual actors, but yeah, it's really worrying. I worry about the, you know, recently was the rollback of um, guidance for schools for trans inclusivity, like basically Mm -hmm. like, yeah, we take it back. Uh, there's no actual rules, just do whatever And we're not going to look into it too closely And yeah. I mean, what does it say when a federal regulatory agency Literally is just like, yeah, we're just not going to look into this too closely You're ba- You basically might as well just dog whistle the issue and say
1: mm-hmm.
2: No, there's no such thing as those rights for people Because if you screw it up, we're not going to hold you to account um, So yeah, I really I mean, you know, here in Massachusetts I, I hope we're a little bit insulated And I think that mm-hmm. certainly, you know, Leslie's got a phenomenal track record where you work of um, LGBTQ um, inclusivity. So it's unlikely that a place like like Leslie or like Harvard or like mm-hmm. some other spaces in Massachusetts are going to change their character fundamentally and say, oh, never mind, nobody's gonna yeah. go after us, we're not gonna do it. But I really worry about secondary schools, mm-hmm. I worry about community colleges, I worry about schools that are under-resourced um, and working at Harvard, I perhaps use the word under-resourced very loosely, but I think our endowment is in the 30 billions of dollars last time I paid attention. I don't Mm -hmm. pay attention very often. And you know, there are schools here in Boston with maybe a $100 million endowment or something like that. So if the market takes a downturn, there's not a lot of slack um, in their operating budget. So what does that say? It says like, well, if you need to make cuts or you need to prioritize stuff, don't prioritize this stuff. And I think that that's what's most worrying about it.
1: It's terrifying.
2: Yeah, and I don't I guess I just don't understand. Like I said, I mean I I grew up a white, you know, cishet straight, upper middle class guy in the nice western suburbs of Chicago. But I think my parents, um, much to their credit, just raised me with a general attitude of be a good person, try mm-hmm. to treat others well and with respect. And so I will never understand where um these attitudes come from about wanting to go after some of the most vulnerable Um, folks in our population. Like, the trans bathroom spill stuff, it just seems so stupid to me. Like, I mean, in addition to the harmful aspects, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, (laughs) you've got grown-up adults trying to pick on, essentially pick on or outright encourage the picking on Mm -hmm. of trans... Why? Why? It's bananas to me. I mean, it's really harmful and all the rest of it, but it's just like is. I just want to. I just. I guess I just want to believe the best about people, and I don't want to believe that there are people out there that would actively treat others poorly on purpose. But obviously, I'm very, very wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> and naive. Very, very naive. So yeah, that's. I really worry about that because I think that where the dear colleague letter was so powerful, and it. I mean, you saw overnight, within a year, you saw schools hiring for positions mm-hmm. um, immediately to be Title IX coordinators, because I was like, oh, we're required to do this, because if we don't, we could be in real hot water and lose federal funding. I, I really, 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 really do worry about it, what happens yeah. when you take away that apparatus.
1: No, I'm, I'm glad that I live in a place where a lot of people are like-minded in that way of, like, I give a shit about other people. Um... And it, yeah, it is definitely scary to think about, like, the schools that might be making decisions to cut positions that support sexual assault prevention or LGBTQ students or students of color and, like...
2: Stuff which has never, by the way, been well-resourced anyway. Yeah, yeah. So from the Title IX perspective, that's what always, that's what even when the Dear Cogler was happening, I was like... I was really worried. I mean, I guess I'm an anxious person, but history has proven me correct now. As I said to friends of mine that were taking Title IX director positions at various schools in New England, like, be careful. This is not yet a career trajectory. If the Mm -hmm. next administration comes in and says, meh, we're just going to kind of ignore it, it's unclear that that's still going to be your job.
1: Yeah. But I think at least, like... And I think getting back to the Me Too movement being... Oh,
2: yeah, sorry, you brought up a question about the Me Too movement.
1: Oh, I mean... You, so awesome. You talked about the other half of my question, yeah. but I think that that's, like, a good transition point of, like, I think things are socially changing yeah. for the better, even yeah. if it's not, like, legally
2: changing for no, the better. No, well, I think, and, I, yeah, we're veering into politics, but I, I want to say a few things real before I veer into politics even more strongly, is, number one, the Me Too movement is amazing. Um... I am so cynical having watched a couple of cycle this happen, cycles of this happen before, and I know this sounds awful, but I think I'll, I, I imagine a lot of people in the sexual assault prevention field may have felt similarly to me, which is the Harvey Weinstein stuff comes out as awful as it is, and it is awful, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, we know. We've mm-hmm. known this sort of systemic abuse happens and has been happening, and obviously what history has shown us is that America just doesn't care and isn't going to do anything. So honestly, when the Me Too movement started, I was like, I was not hopeful. I was kind of like, yeah, it's going to go away in a week because that's just what our country does. And I am thrilled that it is not. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you're right that increasingly, though not totally, it's hopefully becoming (laughs) so so culturally unacceptable. Um, And I mean, I think that, BGL, sorry, Harvard uses the uh,
1: The acronym acronym differently, yeah, Yeah.
2: another way that I just give myself away when I talk to folks at other schools, but, you know, having lived through that where I had, um, a loved one die of HIV AIDS relatively early on, not super early, but he passed away in 1994, Mm -hmm. and I think probably contracted the disease at some point in the late 80s, um, And I remember on the school ground at the time I was in um, middle school on the playground, like, you know, almost getting into fights with people because there were all those crazy misconceptions that you could get it from hugging people and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. And I know that I'm now conflating um, LGBTQ status with AIDS, but there was a lot of like Venn diagram overlap in my life and, you know, Mm -hmm. on the playground at the time. And to go from that, or from the time period in the 90s when and early 2000s when gay marriage was a big thing and it actually looked like it was never going to happen mm-hmm. um, to a point where i think increasingly overt homophobia is and maybe it's cuz we're in the bubble in massachusetts but it's just not tolerated mm-hmm. like i don't hear people throwing around the f word anymore i mean it could be that i'm a grown up now mm-hmm. um, i like to i, like, I hope so um, i hope grown ups don't do it but i just it just doesn't seem to have resonance with, um, folks, you know, friends, kids who are in middle school and high school in the way that it did when I was growing up, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I feel like social media has had an impact on that just because it's like people have more access to different viewpoints and mm-hmm. life experiences. But I, I think I lived in the Midwest more recently than you did. <laughs> I don't know when the last time you lived there was.
2: Yeah, 2008, eight. Two thousand. Oh, yeah, I
1: definitely did then. Because um, I moved here in 2014. Um, it's still homophobic
2: there. <laughs> yeah, categorically, let me state. Um, I mean,
1: like, it's not as bad, I don't think. But it's still there, um, for sure.
2: Yeah, you know, now that you mentioned, I'm remembering that when I went to Rockford, Illinois, for a wedding, I was wearing a mm-hmm. bow tie, and I had a pretty grandiose mustache at the time, and I got called some uh, homophobic <laughs> slurs when we were walking around downtown Rockford. Um, so, yeah.
1: I mean, Craig walking around Massachusetts gets homophobic slurs. That's Honestly... yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, but I think, I think it is less acceptable than it used to be.
2: I mean, I think it's more that... The, like, kids do it less and less now. Yeah. I think. That's yeah. my subjective impression. Like, it, it almost doesn't register for them. Like, that's stupid why. Um, and again, yeah. it could be because we're in... Yeah, like, that's fair. You know, I'm in Cambridge, so the friends I have that are sending their kids to preschool, like, the preschools are basically like, let's talk about how problematically stage capitalism is, right? <laughs> so, um, so, it's just
1: different. Ah, that's so great.
2: I mean, I'm just kidding. But the amount of people but I honestly, knew. honestly,
1: like. It's,
2: no, but seriously, I knew
1: people. It's, it's more plausible here than it would be.
2: The, the eighth elsewhere. grade, the some of the eighth grade classrooms here teach, um, bystander intervention, yeah, from that's a sexual amazing. assault perspective, which is amazing. Because I would, I went into a couple of eighth grade classrooms with my old job and tried to build a partnership with, our student groups to kind of do that sexual assault prevention education and modeling for um eighth graders and the eighth graders are like yeah we know we know bystander intervention you're like that's wow. amazing
1: yeah. the other night uh when we were tabling for art of survival at the animal flag record Relief show uh there was a kid who stopped by our table and he was in high school and he was talking about how he was in this, uh, this gender and society class that he opted in into high in high school. Awesome. Yeah. And they were talking about like sexual assault and gender identity and like systemic oppression of women and trans people. And I was like in high school,
2: Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> but I actually, I, I do think that this is, this is perhaps one reason why education is under is under assault. Uh, yeah is it's really the inflection point about introducing folks to ideas. So Mm -hmm. if you want to introduce folks to this notion of inclusivity broadly understood and that these forms of pernicious discrimination uh, have reasons and come from places of power um, and are deployed strategically and you're an educator, you can do that, you could teach a class about gender and society and how all this stuff is socially constructed and kind of nonsensical when you really drill down, right? And conversely, if you really feel that um, you know, I actually was listening to NPR Saturday uh, and they were going to some fancy conference for young conservatives on college campuses and uh, protesters showed up and apparently one of the Chance that the conservative students deployed was how many genders are there? Two. <laughs> so, you know, that's a thing. But it's just—it's funny to me. It's weird to me that that's a—that that's a thing. Like, what? It's kind
1: of like those people who like spend their weekends like protesting outside of Planned Parenthood. Like, I just wonder, like. Why are you wasting your time on that? Like, why is that what you want to do with your life? Like, what you want to do is go chant about there being <laughs> two genders. Like, that's what you've chosen to
2: do, do with your life. Do something constructive, you know? Do something constructive with your weekend. Um, no, I I know. don't
1: get it! I don't get it.
2: I know. <laughs> yeah, I used to bike. When I used to bike into campus, I used to live in JP. And, uh... And there was, I don't know what it was, if it was a doctor's office, I don't think it was a Planned Parenthood clinic, but like, right by the Walgreens that's down there on, I forget what street it is, Harvard Street or whatever in Brookline, there mm-hmm. was always like this one, these one or two weirdo protesters with gigantically oversized signs with, you know, pictures of, mm-hmm. of embryos on them. And, and I just, like, I never did it, but I always just, because I was always running late, but I always wanted to just stop and just actually not get into a shouting match but be like what like what are you, what are you <laughs> doing like you got up earlier than i did for work to do this but like yeah. why like why if you want to if you want to you know change people's minds or protect children there's lots of ways to
1: there's do it. so many ways mm-hmm. to do it and this is what you're choosing mm-hmm.